I'm Taffer. I'm Caddy. Welcome to Yeah, a show where we talk about young adult lit and what it can teach us at any age. This is our book club and you are invited. Yeah! yeah! We'd like to take this time to acknowledge that the studio where we record is situated within the traditional and unsurrendered territories of the Ganyangahaga First Nations as settlers and immigrants. It's important that we remember that the lands we occupy are not our own and that we engage in conversations that challenge the colonial mindset. We encourage you to take some time today and every day to reflect on your relationship with the land you live on and the indigenous communities of that area. So folks, we're jumping into a hot book this week. Um, it is the month of February, or is it yet? Is it not yet? It is, it is, it's the month of February. We've made it past the first month of the year. It is time to talk about black people and love and black people, <laughs> let's be honest. Um, and so this week uh, we read Concrete Rose by the one and only Angie Thomas. What a book. So this is basically, um, it's like The Hate You Give number zero. That's the way that it's described everywhere. It's basically the prequel, um, in a sense, to The Hate You Give, uh, which, you know, if you haven't read that, press pause, go read it and then come back. And um, so um, this is the story of Mav, Maverick, um, so Star's dad in The Hate You Give. And this is his story um, once he finds out that he's a father and sort of his, it's, it's, it's a coming of age story, but it's like a coming of age story for a parent um which is which is really interesting beautiful themes listen if you've read the the hate you give if you've read anything by angie by by, by angie thomas like let's be honest i'd like for her to write the phone book if she could this book is full of really vivid imagery really interesting you know social commentary lots of realities that we might not be aware of. I uh, have not grown up in a gang um, territory um, and that is not a part of my reality and uh, from based on our conversations I'm guessing that that was not what was happening in New England ever. I mean it it happens in New England let's be clear Uh, but it was not happening in the neighborhood of Cambridge where I grew up. Um, I did I did have classmates who uh, lived in, you know, Dorchester and Roxbury, which is more of that area. Dorchester. Doesn't sound like a dangerous <laughs> place. <laughs> but then yet. again, neither does um, neither does uh, Garden Heights. Mm-hmm. Yes, I can't believe I remembered that. I really have a bad memory. I'm really impressed. Thank you. How'd you feel about this book? Well, okay, so like, just to give you context, I finished this book on Tuesday. And like usually I am reading these books down to the wire. Usually I finish them like a few hours before we record because I'm reading one book a week. So that gives you an idea of how I felt about this book. I ate about three quarters of it over the weekend. I just got completely sucked in. I really, really enjoyed it. Oh, yes. Um, Folks. I'm probably not the first to say this, but I'm going to go on record as the first person to say this 
maybe not for the first time, this book's going to be on top five lists at the end of the year. This is a big and important book. So we can start We can start by talking about the title. I think that that's pretty interesting. Right before recording, Tepper and I were doing a bit of a deep dive to try to you know, understand certain certain aspects of the books that may have eluded us for cultural reasons. Um, and it's really, once again, we come back to good old Tupac Amaru Shakur, who wrote a poem called Concrete Rose. Um, and, you know, it's, it's, it's very clear symbolism. It's beauty out of brick, <laughs> basically. Um, and, you know, considering that this is a story that happens in a lower class neighborhood in the quote unquote inner city, because it's set in 1998. And I think it was still okay to call it that back then. It, the image should, is very evocative. Yeah. What'd you think about it? Well, I mean, and simply also like, it is a book about math learning to garden. So the garden metaphor works two ways you know it's both about growth somewhere you wouldn't necessarily expect it but it's also about um his own process of gardening and i i do want to get into that a little bit more i really like how that plays uh i do actually just want to go back to what you were saying about it being on top five lists it is in fact already number one in young adult hardcover sales the hate you give is number four uh, so Angie Thomas is is dominating the field. Um, and I mean, we've talked about this before. I'm sure we'll talk about it again. But Angie Thomas changed the course of YA Lit, really, right before 100%. this podcast started. And we've been able to see the fruits of that. Super fun thing also that happened in this that I noticed is Angie Thomas calling out another best-selling YA author and her good friend Nick Stone with storyline with characters from Nick Nick's books showing up in this and yep. that I loved that was so fun yeah the meeting of the world is a really interesting place right because these are books that happen in our imagination and god there's something really exciting when it, I mean it's like any comic book crossover um I was very excited as well um to kind of have a moment where I was like yo this is like two universes that I really like are coming together and it's really cool and it's just a nice little easter egg it really really is yeah yeah, it, yeah. It, and i loved knowing that like knowing that andy thomas and nick stone are like really good friends and constantly supporting each other and shouting each other out it was just so nice yeah this like let's take a moment <laughs> to like just enjoy that friendship yeah, yeah writers supporting writers and i mean i like like i mentioned angie thomas the hate you give really changed the course of ya literature but nick stone's book has books have been extremely important in that process as well listen if there's a power duo in ya I I think that they would be it. Or anyways, they're the ones that I would want to sit with at lunch, spaced six feet apart, wearing masks and stuff. But still. I hope oof. we get a collab from them sometime. I was about to say that. And I feel like uh, we may be manifesting this right now. I think that that might be, yeah. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I'll light some candles, maybe mm -hmm. pull some tarot cards, see if it's in the future. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. <laughs> so let's talk about gardening. Yes. So Maverick is a character who gardens. Um, he is, he makes me think, have you ever seen Tefer the TED Talk by, um, there's this lovely man in California, I'm not at all Googling him uh, right now, who grows 
gardens in sidewalks uh, all over Compton. Okay. And um, that is who Mav makes me think of, right? It's like this like hard as nails, like, well, a hard appearing uh, man who basically just is such a nurturer, mm-hmm. you know, such a carer, so minute in his attention to care and to love and to make sure that, you know, what he's growing is growing correctly. And oh, what a metaphor for parenting. Holy cannoli. No, Maverick was my favorite character in The Hate You Give. Um, and I think that's true for a lot of people. I think he was he was a lot of people's favorite character because he was just such a wonderful nurturing man, not only of his family, but of his community. And uh, um, we really see him in The Hate You Give as a as a immensely important character in his community. And seeing him, what, about 16 years before as a confused, scared kid trying to figure out what to do with his life was so powerful. It was just, it spoke so immensely to the transformative power of of love, of community, of frankly the decision to transform because really ultimately when it comes down to it there are people who guide him but really what we see from the very beginning of the story is him going I need to be someone different or not even someone different but I need focus. I need to decide who I'm going to be. I need to decide what I'm going to pursue. And really, I mean, getting he- thrown headfirst into not just responsibility, but twofold responsibility in a in a really big way, really fast. And I appreciated seeing the adults around him being supportive, but also saying, no, you're doing this. This is something you are doing. It's beautiful. There's something really interesting about the way that I think the way that boys and men are raised and especially black boys and black men you know where there's this idea that like they have they're taught this like overconfidence or you know they they learn an overconfidence and over to compensate for not knowing and and stuff like that and there is something about like adults being able to say like oh no 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 it's not going to be easy I'm not going to do this work for you. You are not entitled to anything. Figure it out. Yeah. And that's that's a really nice thing to see. This book is full of like little life lessons, I think, and I think that it's really it's it's a book that I'm going to revisit um for those as well, but I think that for a young reader to also understand that, you know, it's 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 good. It's important. And it's not like the adults in his life are cutting him off or like kicking him out or saying, you got into this mess, so get yourself out. They're saying, well, you've still got this support, but you're going to pitch in in these ways. And Mm -hmm. these things that are your responsibility are your responsibility and not mine. I love his mother. I love seeing the next generation of excellent parents. I don't want to spoil anything, but his mother has her own storyline in this book that is that I don't know if you like clocked it from the beginning I did um, I was just like oh I know what's going on with this and yep. certain members of our community may also um, but I I really really enjoyed her having her own story and her own happy ending and setting her own boundaries and I really enjoyed 
his father, who's incarcerated, just kind of getting it and and being like, yeah, you know, like this is I mean, it's 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 showing you understand why Mav has such a good sense of sort of owning his own behavior or not even but owning his choices and owning Mm -hmm. his responsibilities because you see his parents both doing a very good job of owning their responsibilities and seeing that generational process is really really valuable 100 percent. and let's be honest like the the representation of parents in a low-income area in a principally black area this is not how they're shown and while you know i think and she Thomas is really good at reminding us of uh, the knowledge in our bones and that education doesn't always have to be formal for people to be, you know, educated, to be, to be uh, cultured. Is that, does that work in English? Can I say that? Cultured? Uh, yeah, you can say cultured. Okay. It's not just yogurt. No, it's not just yogurt. Okay. Thanks. So yeah. So it's, I think that that's really cool and accepting that you know knowledge comes at us from different all different places and it looks a bunch of different ways you know like learning patience like maverick does through gardening and 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 just ugh, there's it's just just read it just there you go i can't even make words anymore also it's late but (laughs) wow I also really appreciated seeing, because we've talked about the gardening a few times, and his garden and his store, his grocery store, are such a huge part of his character in The Hate You Give. And I really appreciated seeing that origin story here, that it's not like he, you know, dreamed his whole life of being a gardener or, or a grocer. And it's not even necessarily like he had a, like, connection with his predecessor, he, he kind of just ended up in it because he needed a job, but he really got into it and, and saw the possibilities there and stuck with it. And that's a really valuable story to see as well, I think. I think so oh, often yeah. the idea of like the quote unquote American dream gets so stuck in our head and it's like, oh, if you've had the same job since you're 16, what are you doing? Or 17, what are you doing? But this shows that there's something really valuable in digging in and sticking with something and becoming a pillar of your community. And that also because, and I love the the garden to grocery store thing that's happening. That's not something that happens here, but oh my God, if there was a grocery store where the grocer had like his garden out back where he sells his produce in his grocery store, I love I'll hook that. You up. I love that. I'll hook please, you up. please hook me up. I would like that. I love that so much. I want to do that. It's like the dream. That's so cool. So I really, really enjoyed seeing that. Corner stores are the cornerstone of social activity in low-income areas. And having, you know, worked quite a bit in, in, in some more, you know, rough and tumble places, it's true. And the representation that we have in this book is so accurate. Like there were a few moments where I was like, whoa, have you been like, have you have you been where I've been? Like, have you seen the things that I've seen? And and sort of this importance, right? These stores are where people who don't have access, right? You think about food deserts, you think about uh, cultural deserts and things like that. Where is someone going to go pick up diapers? They're not going to walk to go to a discount store, a big box store or whatever. They're going to go to the place that's closest to home when they're in an emergency, when they're solo parents, when they're uh, struggling to make ends meet and this and that. So 
the role of that you know person in that store really is to make sure that everyone's okay and that says so much about Mav and especially having seen the way that he was in the hate you give you know kind of discovering that and real and, and discovering it at the same time as he discovers it as well because he does have these moments where he's just like mm, like this is where i'm helpful like this this is important this is a part of it it's not you know it's not just about like having big titles and and, and carrying around a certain ego it's about being of service also and in that sense um, his character made me think of a lot of youth workers, all the the the, the wonderful, wonderful dudes in my life uh, that I've had the pleasure of working with, who are exactly like this. You know, they 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 are of service, and uh, to their communities, and and with youth or with their parents or from the corner store or barbers. Hello, barber shops you know, um, and all of that. And it's really, mm, it's delicious for me. I loved seeing the two paths represented with uh, with Maverick and Lisa. Mm -hmm. That Lisa wants to go to college and Maverick is like 100% there to support her and help her go to college. And that's her thing and he's not interested in it. And that's okay. And he has his thing. And, you know, it's not like it's a success story of the teenage parent because he learns his lesson and goes to college and still makes something of himself. It's that that his path that he chooses is good and necessary and leads him to a place where he's satisfied. Oh my God, the role of satisfaction? Holy crap. How can we be satisfied with what we have? Like, I don't know. I don't, I don't know how you feel about this, Steffer, but I know I'm very much in the rat race and playing the comparison game and realizing that I am very quickly approaching the age of 40 and um, I don't have the same things to show as other people in my life. And that's, you know, but learning to look at yourself and be like, I did what I had to because I needed it and I'm proud of what I have and I'm proud of what I've done and, and all of that. and. That's a, there's a steadiness in that, right? A steadiness of character, a steadiness of just just a, a safety uh, that I find really interesting, and especially with a character who's a father. Yeah. Right. And and dads are supposed to be anchors, you know, in your life. And and I mean, so many of them aren't. Um, but also, that's why you go looking for other kinds of daddies. <laughs> 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 I mean, yeah. Maverick would be a heck of a daddy to find. Like, let us be honest. Adult Maverick can get it. Oh, my God. We've been skirting around this, but, like, I have some... Uh, yeah. Even him on this, like, freaking cover art. Like, oh, my God. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. Also, how many times have you seen a man in a do-rag on the cover of a book? I know. Like, this is bringing the intimate out into the world. Like for us it's it's one thing but I think to share it with the rest of humanity like I wear a silk bonnet when I go to bed because I don't want my hair to fry and uh, I know lots of guys who wear do-rags but these are things that are supposed they're so taboo because white supremacy is an asshole so it's nice to see these representations it feels familiar you know, it feels like it's calling to me. It feels like it's welcoming. I feel like I'm going to understand this book automatically by seeing an image like that. 
It's also just, I mean, I, I, for me, it's like immediately evocative of friends I had in high school and middle school and like my sister's friends in high school. Like it's very evocative of the era because I, I feel like it's maybe like, like the guy in the like t-shirt and chain and do-rag was like, like everywhere on the streets when I was in high school and I feel like not as much anymore. I don't know. Mm -hmm. I don't, I haven't been following youth trends. Um, But like for me, it really spoke to that era immediately. And like maybe one of the reasons I'm so drawn to the image of the cover is like, like this is a dude I had a crush on in high school, like right here on my book. And that's, that's like very, very cool. Um, On a less, on a less profound representation (laughs) He probably played pickup basketball and wore Adidas shell toes and um, uh, and probably wore basketball shorts under his jeans and they would peek out. Listen, 1998 was a thirsty year for me. I was 14 years old. You know how many hormones were coursing through this very large body? A lot. So. <laughs> so that's the other the other thing going on here. Um, was when I realized it was 1998, my head exploded. Because when I think of parents, I think of my parents who were born in 1945 and 1950. So when I hear it's a book about parents, I go, oh, okay. (laughs) So it's going to be in the 60s and we're going to see the sock hop. And um, (laughs) that was just, you know, that was a little moment. That was a little moment for me. And I felt my age a tiny bit because like, I mean, I was seven in 1998, so 10 years younger than Maverick. I'm okay. This is fine. Everything is fine. But I really, um, I had not caught on in The Hate You Give that Maverick was so young. Maverick and Lisa were so young. And I had not caught on. I think I had caught on that they were that young when Seven was born. But I hadn't realized how close together Seven and Star are in age. And so seeing that representation of young parenting and young I mean despite like I was not a teenager when I had my kids I was an age that you know I don't know 40 years ago would have been a totally normal age to start having kids (laughs) um but I found this representation of young and early parenting really comforting and when you were just talking about being in the rat race and comparing yourself to other people I absolutely feel that and I especially feel that as somebody who had kids young and spent the first half of my 20s, I mean, really almost all of my 20s, having kids and being focused on my kids and not focused on building a career, uh, which like most of my peers spent their 20s building a career. So we're in different places, you know? And so I'm sorry, it's making me laugh because I'm like, huh, I'm like realizing that I'll probably have kids when I'm 40 and all my friends will have had their kids in their mid to late 20s. So uh, the grass is always greener, folks. Just, well, it's, it's, the re- it's the truth. I think one of the things that I found really comforting, and I feel like I've talked about this recently because I've on the show because I've been thinking about it a lot, but just thinking about how how there are different stages of life and people do those different stages of life at different times. And, you know, I think we see that with Mav's mom, with him getting older and about to move out. She's kind of in a new stage of her life and focusing on new things and new beginnings. Yeah, look, 1998 is particular. Uh, I think that the the whole parenting thing, like, I think it's funny reading it. I was thinking about you, Um, obviously, because I was like, oh, that's so fun. And it's also the intentionality behind the parenting in this book and the writing about parenting in this book, right? Um, 
you know, Maverick and Seven have a complicated relationship and it's a beautiful relationship, but it's complex. Mm-hmm. And it is nice. It's a nice departure from sometimes from like parenting relationships in YA. And I know I've complained about this often on, on the podcast, but, you know, these these adults who don't really participate who aren't really invested who seem to have had kids as an afterthought which may have been something that was okay uh you know in other generations but i think uh in an overpopulated world you gotta think before you have a baby um or anyways it would be nice if you are afforded the pl- the privilege of being able to think before having a baby but yeah so there's something really beautiful about that writing and about the fact that it doesn't Nothing is given, served up on a golden platter. Parenting is not easy. Parenting is not all rah rah sis bam boom like Cheerios and Fruit Loops. It is actually complicated. It's about negotiating your own identity and the sort of environment that you want to create for a child to grow in. And I find that like this made me think about um, With the Fire on High because it was another great book about young uh, teenagers parenting. And this idea of having youth be able to be intentional in their actions is wicked. And I think that oftentimes, like I think general media portrays youth as like, you know, naive and dumb and all kinds of things that don't make sense. Uh, But when you really think about it, like we're faced with a generation who have to be intentional about everything they do, everything. And being able to bring that back into 1998 was pretty sweet to me. Young black man, young black man, member of a gang, young black man, member of a gang, child of an incarcerated man. You know, like you've got all the risk factors for someone having, for someone to, to quote unquote fail at this or just not show up. And I think Maverick is more of the rule than he is the exception mm-hmm. than we think. That's actually something I wanted to bring up, and you've reminded me um, that this book flies in the face of the myth of the absent black father. And the myth of the absent black father was huge in the 90s and 2000s. I have a feeling Reagan had something to do with it. But there was just like, like really, when I was young and, and also a teenager, um, and going to a high school and middle school that had quite a large uh, black student population um, and had the the sort of white savior push of like, do better, be better. Heavy, heavy scare quotes on better. It was something that, that, that we were just saturated with as youths, this idea that, that black men were not being fathers. And this book flies in the face of that in a multi-generational way because you have Maverick's dad who is incarcerated and is still an active present father for Mav and and has been incarcerated and will be incarcerated for Mav's whole life and is still his dad and is present and is the person he goes to for advice and looms very large in his life. And that is so important. That is such good representation. Because, like, black men who are in jail are not in jail because they did a bad thing. Most of them are in jail because they were poor or black or both. Exactly. So what you're looking at is not... It's not somebody bad who abandoned their kid. It's somebody who was torn away from their kid 
by the horrible circumstances of the white supremacist state. So seeing that story told through an accurate lens um, is so refreshing. And so when you see that and then you see Maverick, you realize, oh, maybe that story about this being a quote unquote risk factor for him is as much bullshit as the story that his dad is not a good and present father. I love that. And I think I think this is a great step forward for young black men who might enjoy reading. Um, I think that this is going to be an interesting take. And it's written with, you know, Maverick's got, he's got flaws. He's, he's by no means, <laughs> is he perfect, right? Like if you've just see like if you've seen like the first 10 minutes of the hate you give or if you've seen like or if you've read the first portion where the family is described you understand fully that maverick is no angel but he shows up and that's because people have shown up for him and uh, i think it's important to note that uh the stats of the absent black father which are uh really terrible um they're terrible in the sense that they're very fabricated um black men are actually more likely to be involved in their children's lives uh than white fathers and i think that that's something that's important to remember you know when you are told constantly that like you're not going to be a good father you're not going to be a good dad you're not going to show up you're just going to get a bunch of women pregnant or a bunch of people pregnant whatever and for yeah, for, for a young man to be torn, for a young man to, you know, walk that fine line and end up at that crossroads of like, am I going down path A or path B? It, this is this really is what the story is about. It's about making choices. And uh, this book is going to help, I think, I hope, young men to make choices and seeing a character that sounds like them like let's not forget to mention the important place of african-american vernacular english in this uh in this story and it's it's it truly is exceptional this is a game it's yet another game changer come on angie thomas (laughs) stop changing the game but keep writing amazing books because i love you there's also a really sympathetic portrayal of motherhood and black motherhood um, because the characters are black in this book. But I really appreciated Aisha's storyline. Um, okay. And I really appreciated Aisha gets very bad postpartum depression. And what I loved about this story is that all the women around her get it. She's she's ha- she's really struggling. She needs to uh, have Maverick take care of their baby for a while. And Maverick's mom goes, oh, yep, postpartum depression. That sucks. I had that. And that, I mean, as somebody who had really severe postpartum depression after getting pregnant unexpectedly much younger than I anticipated, it was so validating to see that. But especially uh, because Black mothers have the highest rates of postpartum depression because Black mothers have the least amount of support. And a large part of the really, really horrible stats of maternal mortality um, in the U.S. at least being predominantly black women comes from the prevalence of postpartum depression among black mothers uh, because of the lack of support um, Mm. that is provided. 
So seeing that represented is so important. It's it's really profound and and it's really sympathetic and humanizing. And I really appreciated that. Mm-hmm. And I think that um, humanizing is is incredibly necessary right now. It's uh, we need it. That's what we need. I need people to seem like humans. Maybe not terrible racists, but like I need. Um, you know, I need, I need people to be more than an archetype right now. And um, I'm really grateful for stories that give us a chance to go beyond that and to push it differently. Like, I mean, Aisha was a character in The Hate You Give that like every time she appeared, my, my the hairs on the back of my necks would raise and I'd be like, oh, she just irks me. And then all of a sudden you find yourself developing this great empathy for this person because obviously we never know what people are fighting and and dealing with at home and stuff like that. This is a nice way of putting it into a perspective. Yeah, absolutely. I also, I mean, I'm just going to talk about everything I appreciated about the depiction of parenting here, which is everything. But I really, really, really appreciated seeing this sympathetic, beautiful, loving portrayal of a family who have... Uh, kids by different parents because Mm -hmm. like I mean having (laughs) two kids with two different partners is something that even when you're in a really privileged position as I am you still get shit for it um all the time and like it is exhausting and when you take that and then multiply it by (laughs) the racism and the racist tropes about black families uh it's i imagine um just you must be angry all the time <laughs> and exhausted yes and <laughs> yes i am yes yes yeah. i am thank you for naming that teffer because here is the truth being black is magical but being black in a white society oh my lord i used to get asked all the time if my dad was a figure in my life and i was like i'd be like wait what why (laughs) you know and and you get all these assumptions and i'm uh, at the same time i'm like i can be bitter and frustrated and all that that's you know here neither here nor there but i also get the awareness that i have nieces and nephews who are gonna grow up and like, you know, uh, godchildren of all different cultural backgrounds who are going to grow up with representation like this in the books that they read. Like, that's wild. This is this is how we change the game. This is how, you know, we move away from, I remember uh, doing an episode with Bailey during uh, our September downer uh, month <laughs> last year. And you know, talking about um, trauma porn and being able to move from there and and sometimes the need to be able to just feel the pain before stepping out. Boy, oh boy. Um, You know, I I got it when, when The Hate You Give came out. And now I'm seeing it for boys with this, with books by Ben Philippe, with, you know, like all kinds of stories that are coming out that are changing the game for young black men when it comes to to reading. And that's exciting. 
that's that's incredibly exciting. We can't forget that American prisons are built on an algorithm based on black boys reading levels when they're 10. So uh, I want them to read so much, <laughs> but I want them to read things that look like them and sound like them and sound like the people they grew up with. And that might strike a chord, it might not, you know, but it's great. Whew. Yeah, yeah, I really, I kept thinking reading this that, um, so when I was a teenager and just reading through the library and there was just about no black representation whatsoever and I read every book in the young adult section in our library so I would have found it if there was, um, but the only books with black protagonists were basically like she got hooked on drugs and prostitution but then she managed to get out usually with the help of a friendly white person or you know he got into drugs and then gangs and then some nice white teacher pulled him out and like and and just like really playing the respectability politics game and just like i mean just like a bunch of bullshit and it's i'm very very glad that that's not happening like that there are books like this, you know, like, 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 and then the publishers say, oh, no, yeah. we can't publish books about black boys because black boys don't read. And it's like, well, no fucking wonder. <laughs> I mean, look, you know, they don't get that much. They get slave tales, then they get trauma porn, then they get civil, like civil rights crap <laughs> and, get, and I'm not I don't say civil rights crap in the sense that it was crap it wasn't obviously if you look at where we're at today and feel that way you need to get your head checks um, but it's just I mean crap in the sense that like it's never good it's never good you're just constantly fighting to be seen as a human mm-hmm. you know whereas now this is like to me this is kind of a love letter to black men Mm-hmm. Um, written written by by Angie Thomas and and a way of looking at them and saying I see you being sensitive I see you putting on a front and then like holding your child and weeping I see I see these things you know and and I think that that's lovely I think that it's so important to to have access to those moments because when you don't feel like you've ever been loved by society in any way shape or form other than when people can steal parts of you for themselves and, and appropriate it. Um, but it's nice to, it's nice to see care like that. You know, it really is. Wow. I'm like speaking in long platitudes today. I feel like just waxing poetic, but this is Angie Thomas. This is what you do to me. Angie Thomas. I mean, you know, I said this, 40 minutes ago or whatever but Angie Thomas has changed the game yeah and um I am so abundantly grateful that she did because it's necessary like we keep saying important but it's necessary this had to happen this is so important and I love it and it was it was it, it like you know the parenting spoke to me like like this is a universal story it's not like this is a story that like because it's about black boys, only black boys can read it. No, everybody can and should read this because it is, it's so good. And that's ultimately what representation does, is it shows us that we all 
have things in common and you know maybe we shouldn't treat this family like shit because because they are black like maybe just I'm just spitballing here but maybe we shouldn't treat people like shit because they're black possibly yeah. Um. <laughs> I'm sorry, um, dear dear listeners, um, I would like to let you know that I just witnessed Teffer um, just getting mad. <laughs> and it was a real treat to look at. <laughs> I'm here for it. Yeah. <laughs> Um, maybe I'll ask this question. Okay. Is there anything about this book that you didn't love? Um, so before you looked up the title and told me where it came from, I didn't love the title. I feel like you're trying to get me to say this. <laughs> no. No. no, I'm just, I'm just realizing that all we're doing is gushing about this book and it's hard to be critical when I, it's needed. I you know? ge- like I genu no I genuinely loved this. I I I think this book is good in every way. Like I cannot criticize it. It is so good. It is so well done. Everything is treated well. Yeah. I I can't, words, I can't criticize it. This will be this will be in the top 3 YA books of this year, I have a feeling. Yeah, I think it'll probably be number 1. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's so good. Big one. Can't wait to see the movie. Oh my god, I cannot wait to see the movie. So you wanted to cast this movie, Caddy? Um, yeah, I wanted to cast this movie for one reason and one reason only. Um, I have a huge, huge crush on Lisa. Mm-hmm. Um, I love this character in a way that is hard to explain. Uh, she's just she just speaks to me, um, and I would cast her as like Lisa Bonet from like the first seasons of A Different World, like totally. Mm-hmm. And she would be so lovely. Now I'm trying to think about like who is like an Afro-Latino actor who could play Carlos. And I'm slightly on the fence. Um, but if we were uh, just uh, doing, uh, like a Gael Garcia Bernal is just, he's he's Latin. Um, he's just, he's Argentinian, I think. Uh, but like, I feel like him a little darker or with like frizzier hair, he plays in Mozart in the jungle, would make a great Carlos. Cause Carlos is also a character you kind of just want to throw out the window all the time. Um, it's funny because I ha- I feel like Carlos is the character who I have like the clearest image of like, like he is a character <gasps> in my head, but I can't put an actor to it. I'm just like, and he just like, for whatever reason, he definitely had a face for me, but I couldn't cast him. Mm, okay, okay. I think for Aisha, I would, I would, I would cast like a Kiki Palmer. Yeah, I can see One hundred percent. I think a Kiki Palmer would do great. Probably someone like a, uh, like a Danny Glover for Mr. Hyatt would be great. You are just all over the place with these ages. This is. Yeah. <laughs> How old is Danny? Is Danny Glover to be Mr. Hyatt? Because like I no, think that's fair. I think Danny Glover's like thirty-five, maybe max. Danny Glover? Wait, who am I thinking of? No, Danny Glover no, from no, Lethal no, Weapon? No, 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 I'm thinking of the wrong person because I am a dummy. <laughs> You're thinking... <laughs> Donald... 
<laughs> I'm sorry. This is why I keep my mouth shut when you cast things because I'm so bad at pop culture. I'm I'm so bad at pop culture. I was so like, gonna... did I misread this book and Mr. Hyatt is actually in his 30s? No, I'm just usually thinking about Donald Glover. I mean... <laughs> Yes, Danny yes. Glover. Danny Glover works well for this character. I'm just... I'm going to shut my dumb mouth and Google Oh, things. my God. And then for <laughs> Mav's mother, I picture as Felicia Rashad. But I think it's because I picture every uh, Black mother that I love as Felicia Rashad. <laughs> I just love her so much. Yep. I love her until I love her forever. Yeah. Thank I can, you. I can see it. I definitely saw Mo as... <laughs> Missy Elliott. Yeah. Missy Elliott just has that vibe, you know? Missy Elliott or even like a Lizzo could work yeah. for Mo. Lizzo could work for Mo. She could go there. She could yeah. go there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So who would you cast as Mav, though? That's the hardest role. That is yeah. the hardest role. Yeah. For Mav, I'm like, I'm having full like boys in the hood kind of moment. Okay. Um, like... I mean, oh, like, you know, a young, I'm not going to lie, a young, a, a young ice cube would have been good um, for this. Like, I don't know. There's no like, oh, actually, that's not true. If Leslie Odom Jr. were maybe 10 years younger but he still looks like he's 16 so really it's okay i i can see leslie odom jr doing it and he's the right age i would be all over by this. that i mean he is currently the age that maverick is he was born yeah, in 81 is, so which is not is three years older than me so 40 yeah which is wild yeah i'm not mad at that i i like that Leslie Odom Jr. or, um, oh, the guy who plays Hercules Mulligan in uh, the Hamilton uh, movie. Um, hold on, I'm going to do a quick um, Google. Um, Okiriete Onadowan. But, like, mm-hmm. I would all, he could also be king. Mm-hmm. He could also. I was going to say I see him more as king, but he gives me the vapors. I watch Hamilton oh. for him. I, oh, how he makes me feel i would climb him like a tree i think i would just like st- i don't know i would probably just start crying if i saw him in real life nope i think I would i'm just having start, a lot of feelings today i would start rolling my pants down <laughs> that's all i would do <laughs> like, oh hello i'm taking my pants off thank you that's just because you um, have slightly more cool than i do in general yeah okay uh i'm also more likely to be arrested as a stalker uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know you gotta shoot your shot i am not throwing away my shot Okay. I wasn't even doing that on purpose. We need to wrap this shit up. We need to wrap this up before Lin-Manuel Miranda sues us before we can even become friends. He wouldn't. (laughs) Thanks for listening to Yeah! If you want to leave feedback, suggest a book for us to read, or just say hi, send us an email at theyapodcast at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter at Yeah Podcast and individually. I'm at Caddy Double underscore D. And I'm at Tefferbear. Um, and BT Dubs, these handles also work for Instagram. It's true, they both do. We are both on Instagram at the same handles. 
If you like the show, which I hope you do, and want to help us make it even better, really, <laughs> consider supporting us on Patreon. You can get all kinds of great per 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 you can get all kinds of great perks, including early access to bonus content, shoutouts, guest appearances, and more. Head to patreon.com slash yapodcast to donate. Shoutout to our patrons, Erica, Stutchberry, Lizzie, Tenhope, Chantel, Thomas, Maddie, Dever, Megan, Jane, Emmett, Cameron, Emily Patton, Catherine Rashi, and Erica Stutchberry. Did I say Erica twice? I might have, but you know what? She has a real cute baby, so she gets two shoutouts. We love you all. Goodbye. <laughs> We have merch. Hit the merch link in the description of this episode to get some from the fine folks over at Tee Public. One day, I'm not going to say get some. I'm going to actually read the sentence as it's written. Tom actually admitted to me that they did that on purpose to make us say that every week, by the way. Oh, great. So, um, uh, get some. <laughs> you can also support us for free. You can get some for free by leaving a rating and review on Stitcher or Apple Podcasts, subscribing to us on Spotify, or by sharing this episode with a friend, literally any friend, but like, you know, especially anybody who will maybe relate to it. Mm-hmm. Um, special thanks to Great Bear for letting us use their song Jenny's Groove as our theme music. You can find their music up for sale at greatbearmusic.bandcamp.com. This episode was produced by me, Tefra Jemian, and edited by Tom Zalatni as part of the Upford Network. You can find out about all the great shows on our network at UpfordNetwork.com. Bye bye. Bye. Hi, I'm Howard Mitnick, host of Gateway Music. Join me as I talk with people about the artists and albums that changed their lives and about the artists and albums that changed mine. Available on the Upford Network and wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, my name is Stefan, and please join me every week for my podcast, Some Good Friends. A show where I talk to some good friends of mine. And I think you're going to like them just as much as I do, because they're crazy, and they're wacky, and they're hilarious. And they're definitely real people, and not characters made up just for the sake of comedy. It comes out every Monday early in the morning.